Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth, brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors. Hello, and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. When Lara Lehman and Monica Sagioro first met some five years ago, it didn't take long for them to bond. Both women were keenly interested in the prospect of helping to spur more business innovation and economic development in their native Brazil, as well as in other parts of Latin America. As they exchanged ideas, they eventually concluded that a lack of early stage funding was severely limiting opportunities for entrepreneurs, particularly female founders, on the continent. By 2018, they had decided to tackle the challenge head on by creating their own venture capital fund, Maya Capital, focused on leading the first venture round of teams solving Latin America's most relevant problems, as they put it. On today's episode, Lyra and Monica talk about the hands-on approach they take with their portfolio companies, what they look for when making investment decisions, the wider Latin American startup ecosystem, and more. Before co-founding Maya, Lara Lehman transitioned through the public and private sectors in Brazil and invested in various sectors as an angel. She is Brazilian and Swiss and has an undergraduate degree from Columbia University. Earlier in her career, Maya Capital co-founder Monica Sagiora worked with innovation and new business development at larger organizations such as Restaurant Brands International, Whirlpool, and Goldman Sachs. She is Brazilian and has an MBA from Harvard Business School. Lara, Monica, thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Lara, tell us about what Maya Capital does and how the two of you came to create it. Sure. Maya is a venture firm. We support top talent solving Latin America's most relevant problems through entrepreneurship. This means that we usually lead the first VC check in companies from various sectors and various countries from the region. And then we support founders and their teams as they scale, usually through a very hands-on support that's focused on hiring, strategy, and fundraising. Monica and I met in 2016 while I was investing as an angel in Brazil, and Monica was testing a couple different things during her MBA, including various business models. And we initially connected over healthy food and sports, two things that we both really enjoy doing. But over the two years, our conversations eventually evolved to topics of female entrepreneurship, female empowerment, and really the opportunity that we have to transform Latin America by empowering entrepreneurs. Eventually, while we were having these conversations, we compared the ecosystems that we were living in, me in Brazil, her in the US, and we ended up realizing that there was this massive funding gap in the early stage across the region. We ended up deciding that the best way for us to really catalyze this transformation that we were after was by enabling entrepreneurs that were really tackling large scale problems. So eventually that's how Maya was born in 2018. And since then we've invested in 27 companies as of today. Most of these are in Brazil, but seven of them are outside in Chile, Mexico, and Colombia. Monica, tell me about how your past experiences led you to joining forces and co-founding Maya. Sure. First of all, thank you for having us here. I'm going to start giving quick context on our background. We bring very different experiences. Lara had spent some time investing as an angel here in Brazil, um, and I have more of an operating background. Before Maya, I spent roughly 10 years working with innovation and new business development across Latin America. So I started my career at Whirlpool, the appliances company, 
in which we launched a couple of business models. We launched the KitchenAid brand in Brazil. After a couple of years at Whirlpool, I transitioned to work for Burger King Corporation uh, under the Restaurant Brands International Group. And there I was leading franchise performance and growth. So helping a lot of the franchisees across the region turn around restaurants and helping them expand across the region. And after a while, I decided that it was time for me to start my own business outside of a large corporation. So I pursued an MBA in the United States and a lot of things happened throughout my MBA. First, I did test a couple of business models and studied some theses that we ended up investing in Maya. Second, I started falling in love with the intersection between finance and tech, um, which later became a good starting point to what became Maya. And I think the most important thing was that I met Lara. We spent the two years while I was at the MBA, she was here in Brazil, investing as an angel, exchanging ideas about um, business models and opportunities in the ecosystem. And we decided to combine her investment background with my operating experience to launch Maya. But I'm going to let Lara talk about her background as well. Yeah, please go ahead, Lara. Well, first, I'm Brazilian and Swiss. I grew up in between the two countries and the juxtaposition of this very small, very rich, massive country that's rich in natural resources, but is poor in every other sense, just always kind of blew my mind. And I always was intrigued by how to solve for this gap that I saw. Initially, I started my career working in the public sector, where I realized fairly quickly that the status quo would not be sufficient to bring about the positive transformation that I hoped to see in my country. So eventually I transitioned to the private sector, and this is where I really realized the potential that entrepreneurship has to actually drive innovation, which in turn drives development. I eventually started speaking with multiple founders. This led me to start investing as an angel. And that's when I connected with Monica, who was testing a business model at the time. And then our conversation evolved to what could we do together? And that is where Maya was born. And what's the origin of the name and the meaning for you guys? We wanted something sweet and short, a Brazilian word that was short, easy to pronounce in different languages, and also had an available URL. Maya fit all these criteria. It basically means mother in Tupi Guarani, which is the Brazilian native language, uh, but it means a lot of positive things in other languages as well. In Maori, it means courage. In Sanskrit, it means magic. It means truth in Japanese. We really like the very positive meanings that it brought, and it's something easy and catchy, and yeah, we love our name. Lara, let's talk a little bit about the investment focus and funding. Where have you raised money from so far? And in your view, what prompted the investors so far to cast their lot with Maya? Sure. For our first fund, we raised mostly from family offices and high net worth individuals in Brazil, Latin America, Europe, and the U.S., and then we also raised a lot from entrepreneurs. I assume what the family offices saw is that we're building something different at Maya. Maya was born with a LATAM focus. It's actually the first one in the region to have done so. We also have a dedicated hands-on approach. We really enjoy adding value to our portfolio companies. So that's actually something that's a part of our thesis. This is really what differentiates us, not only in the current ecosystem, but also in the future. For example, we dig deep in our analysis process. We really understand the team, we understand the market, and we really understand how we would add value before we invest. We then stay close to the teams in their early days and we help them with the go-to-market and eventually also with the growth. Finally, we dedicate half of our fund for follow-on, so we actually have capacity to double down in their follow-on rounds as they scale. On the other hand, we brought on a lot of entrepreneurs to our LP base, and it's because we saw that People who are thinking about being entrepreneurs 
they don't speak to funds immediately. They go speak first to other entrepreneurs to get insights and eventually even connections. Um, so bringing on these entrepreneurs to our LP base has been a great help for our deal flow. And what I think really excited these entrepreneurs is that in the early days of Maya, the initial conversations that we had with these successful founders wasn't to fundraise, but the question we most asked was, how would your trajectory have been different if Maya had existed when you were fundraising? We use these answers to really develop our thesis and develop our portfolio support approach. And we continue to ask that question today. Monica, what prompted the decision to focus on seed stage and series A? We spent a lot of time studying the market and comparing the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Latin America with other emerging countries and also with the United States. We came to realize that there was a huge investment gap and a lot of this gap was focused on the seed stage. Two moments, actually. One death valley in the earliest stage, which we call pre-seed or seed, and a second death valley post-series B. We decided to tackle the first one, uh, the pre-seed seed, because we had realized that 80% of startups died because they could not raise adequate capital in their first years. Another interesting data here was that we checked the number of startups and the number of VC funds and compared that across different regions. And we came to roughly 12 startups per VC fund in the United States versus 80 startups per VC fund in Brazil and in Latin America. And we checked this number recently. It remained the same, which means for us that even though we've been seeing more investors coming into the ecosystem, we have also seen the quantity and the quality of founders increasing the ecosystem. So we need to bring more investors to the region urgently. We need investors helping these founders progress. But when we decided to start Maya, it was a matter not only of filling this gap, but also making sure that we were helping founders progress in their journey, helping them find the first clients, helping them think strategically about fundraising, helping them understand their go-to-market in the most efficient way. We want to make sure that founders have the right resources for them to test their initial hypothesis and also that they can find the right support for this journey, which will probably take many years. And Lara, you talk a lot about the founders. When you're looking at potential investments, doing diligence on startups and their founders, what are you two looking for in particular? What we look for in founders can be summarized in three quick words. We call them team, TAM, product. So in terms of team, we're checking the motivation of the team, the leadership capacity of the team, the grit that the founders have, and most importantly, their capacity to attract talent. Because at the end of the day, the business will only succeed if they are really capable of attracting and then engaging people that are in most cases, better than them in more specific situations. So we test that usually by doing references. We just really dig deep on the founders to understand if these are people that we want to work with for probably the next seven to 10 years. In terms of TAM, we're looking at market size, market dynamic, the growth of the market recently. We do a bit of analysis on the competitors and the benchmarks and also understand how these markets have evolved outside of Brazil. Finally, in terms of product, what we're doing here isn't necessarily understanding the solution, because at the end of the day, we want founders that are obsessed with a problem and not a solution. But we do want to understand their idea, the founder's idea for 
go to market, the economics, and basically how they're going to create a sustainable moat, how they're going to be 10 times better than any alternative. And Daniel, just to complement, I think even though we run a thorough diligence on founders, they should also diligence the funds they're talking to. This is a super long-term relationship um, and they need to make sure that they're partnering with the right people. So talking to other founders and understanding how these VC funds have actually helped founders, understanding how much runway they have to follow on the subsequent investment rounds of these companies or how much they're actually hands-on and what type of support they bring to the table. These are all very important points that founders should ask about the funds they're talking to. That's exactly where we chose to be more active, at least compared to the other seed stage funds in the region. We basically help founders a lot with commercial intros, something that we call the billion dollar intros. We want to make sure that we connect founders with potential clients, potential partners. We help them a lot in fundraising, helping them think through this strategy and bring the best people to the cap table. We also help them in hiring. So we run a lot of interviews and we're always constantly, actively chasing the best talent. We have a formal team of advisors composed by founders of many of the unicorns here in LATAM today. And they help us with more strategic guidance or better understanding of specific sectors. These are a couple of ways that we've been able to execute what we call our on-demand hands-on approach. Lara, on that point, this focus on advisor support from your platform, is that something that you feel is a major way to distinguish yourself from other VCs in Brazil and Latin America? Certainly. I love that you mentioned the word platform because that's exactly how we're seeing the support that we'd like to provide to our portfolio. We call them Mayans. Monica mentioned the more hands-on strategy support where we're helping with fundraising, the introductions and hiring, but the support we are providing goes far beyond that. We're also looking at how we can use our community, enabling founders to help themselves. So Monica and I can come in at strategic points like fundraising, like strategic introductions and key hires that they need. But most of the help a founder needs is in the day-to-day, how to implement the solution, how to work together with a certain team member. And there they don't necessarily need someone from the outside looking in and much more just someone who's been through that before. And we have a portfolio of 27 teams that are most likely going through similar situations. So we've created a Slack channel and we do events where we encourage these founders to interact with one another and share their experiences and their learnings. Additionally, we also have what we call our ecosystem effort, where we create forums, events, and write content that help guarantee that we're seeing better prepared founders in our pipeline. One example of this is our matching program, where we had 25 people who are thinking about entrepreneurship, but don't yet have co-founders and don't yet have a thesis. So we put them in the same room and over a month we ran a couple events and just help them get to know each other, explore a couple theses. Monica, are there other approaches or methods that you guys use that you think are distinctive? I do think that our approach of staying closer to founders makes tremendous difference. We measure our NPS with founders. So we are always monitoring their opinion and where we can be more active, less active. We can measure that impact through the number of referrals of founders referred to Maya through our portfolio companies. They actually send us a lot of deal flow. Today, the conversion coming from the Mayans is roughly three times higher 
than the average conversion in our pipeline. But I think there are a couple of other points that differentiate us as well. We were born focusing Maya across Latin America and positioning Maya as the leading fund across the region. This makes a difference because we've been able to help companies not only expanding outside of Brazil, but also coming into Brazil, which is super important. Another point here is diversity. Uh, we are one of the very few funds founded by female, and we're trying to think about diversity across different variables as well, not only the gender lenses. And founders do like having a different perspective. And if we've been able to prove that diversity does lead to higher performance, I think having diversity in your cap table should also do the same. Let's talk briefly about some of your latest investments and what made those particularly compelling candidates. It's really difficult to choose which startup that we should mention here because we are super excited about all of them. But I think I can summarize in two that are more well known. The first one is Belvo. So they're the leading open banking API platform in Latin America. They're the easiest way for users to connect their accounts to a fintech app, basically. The team, which is led by Uri and Pablo, they're super experienced in tech, finance, and in entrepreneurship. They went from NASA to Revolut. This was one of the more impressive reference checks. We did people at NASA telling us that the team is among the smartest people they've worked with. What excites us here is basically it's a large and growing market. The open banking regulation is moving super fast in Brazil and in Latin America, very much in line with the trends that we saw in Europe. And this ends up opening lots of doors for first movers like Belvo, who are very successfully surfing this wave. In terms of product, Belvo's is unparalleled. And the traction that they've been garnering more recently has been super exciting to watch. Another interesting company here is Notco. I don't know if you've tried their products, but they're available in Brazil, in Chile, Argentina, Peru, and now in the United States. But they basically replicate foods that take animal protein by only using plants. What really differentiates Notco is their technology. They have a machine learning system that combines different plants ingredients to form the protein molecule. This gives them superior quality and speed to develop new products. They started with what they call not mayo, and then they launched not milk, not ice cream, not burger. Um, they continue to launch products all the time. Natco also has the elements that we always look for in founders. Matias, the founder and CEO at Natco, had founded another company. And second time founders is something that we really value here at Maya. This is a massive and growing market. So we're super excited to see new plant-based options. Natco is able to not only create products faster than the average, but also create products with much better Quality. The goal here is to imitate the flavor that you would find in the regular milk, ice cream, or burger. They've been able to create products that taste real with supernatural ingredients. And they do that at a much faster pace than competitors. Obviously, it aligns with what you're talking about in terms of when you guys originally bonded over healthy food and <laughs> healthy living. Let's just zoom out to talk briefly about the broader startup ecosystem and VC industry in Brazil and also Latin America. Brazil, there's obviously a lot of innovation flowering. What do you think is helping to push innovation forward? We always talk about the ecosystem as a flywheel. The more examples of success there are, the more talent will be attracted to tech jobs. 
And as more talented people migrate to these sectors, so does capital. And then this capital can fund the next successes and so on. We've seen examples of success in Brazil a couple of years ago, and Mexico more recently, and in Colombia also. And this is very much attracting top talent towards the ecosystem. Today, one in three undergraduate students in Brazil wants to work in technology or start their own company, which is something totally unprecedented. This in turn attracts different capital options. We connect often with international VC funds because we see them as natural co-investors in the future. More and more, we're being contacted by big U.S. funds that are interested in leading subsequent rounds, bigger rounds for Latin American companies. In addition, we're also seeing more exit options. Brazil has had some successful IPOs. There's been a huge appetite for tech companies in Brazil, in Latin America, and even for these companies in the U.S. with companies like Stone and XP, for example, on NASDAQ. Obviously, it wouldn't be a VC podcast today if we didn't mention SPACs. Just since the beginning of this year, we've seen four or five SPACs with a focus on Latin America. And that obviously provides a really great way for the companies in our portfolio and in the ecosystem or in general to become the successes that we need to continue moving flywheel. What would you see as the biggest gaps in the ecosystem, whether it's Brazil or more broadly speaking, Latin America? There's still a significant funding gap. Even though we see the number of funds increasing in the region, I think we need to be careful here because of two things. One, not necessarily all these funds have enough runway to support the companies throughout their journey. And second, even though the number of venture funds has increased, the number of companies has also increased. We continue to see the best talent flowing to tech we need to continue to see more capital coming to the region as well. In the end, the investment gap in seed stage has improved a little bit, but there's still a huge gap post-Series B. So that's what we call the Series B Death Valley. And that's why most of the founders in the region need to look for capital outside of Brazil or outside of Latin America. It's interesting to see funds like Andreessen Horowitz, um, DST, GGV, and Lightspeed being more interested in the region. Ideally, we would also have capital here in the region to support these founders. Latin America still faces a lot of economic and political issues. Whenever this happens, I think usually scares a lot of these investors. So ideally, we would have more investment in the region supporting founders, regardless of the situation that we find economically or politically. Lara, how much of a difference is there between Brazil and Spanish-speaking Latin America in terms of the ecosystem or specific sectors that are most promising for startups? We don't see that many differences because we see that inefficiencies that are relevant in Sao Paulo probably also prevalent in cities like Bogota and Mexico City, for example. One of the main differences that we do see is the size. That's less relevant when comparing with Mexico, but companies that we see starting in Colombia or Chile, for example, they usually need to target Brazil and their go-to-market relatively early just to make sure that they're tackling a large enough TAM. In terms of sectors, we don't see that much difference, basically because we see that the populations in the countries are suffering with the same problems. And we're investing in companies that are using technology to create innovation. And that necessarily isn't that dependent on minor structural 
realities, but much more macro scenarios, which we see as overarching in the region. COVID is obviously, sadly, still very much a part of all our lives across the globe and certainly in Latin America. How has the continuing pandemic impacted the investment landscape? COVID was for sure a very tough lesson for everybody across the globe. Here at Maya, we spend more than three weeks just talking to portfolio companies, helping reduce costs, running webinars to talk about ZBB and cost reduction plans. Not only my portfolio, but across the globe, we saw that not only founders reacted super quickly and learn how to run very lean operations, but they've also managed to find new opportunities to tackle given the new reality that we're living in. If you check the performance of venture capital funds, you see that a lot of funds actually performed well when investing right after crisis moments. And this comes because of a couple of factors, but the key one that we've identified is the fact that whenever we face such disruptions, and this pandemic was a great example, new needs come up. In the end, new companies need to come up as well, need to be founded to solve these new needs or these problems that actually become opportunities. We're coming up on time, but coming back briefly to the point you raised earlier about diversity, how would you characterize the gender gap in Brazil and the rest of Latin America? And how do you guys work to address that gap? In a study that was done earlier this year that Maya actually participated in and helped run, it was found that less than 5% of startups in Brazil are founded by women. So there's obviously a massive gap there still. We don't have a gender lens when we're investing. But at the same time, our pipeline is differentiated simply because we are two women and because we speak about this subject with a certain frequency. Women naturally gravitate towards Maya when they're thinking about starting companies. Today, almost 40% of the companies in our portfolio were founded by women. It's not at 50 or above where we would like it to be, but it's getting there. We also launched Female Force, which is an initiative to replicate the same flywheel I mentioned earlier of providing examples, talent, and support to female founders. It's a platform where women who are thinking about entrepreneurship can come to have punctual mentoring, we call it office hours, with other successful women who have experience either in fundraising, in product, in team management, whatever they may need at that time. Eventually, when they do think about starting companies, we speak to them. And even if we don't invest, we try to add value in some way to make sure that they have the guidance necessary so that someday, hopefully, we can invest in them. As investors, it's super important for us to be neutral. And one interesting study from Harvard Business Review is that investors, they usually ask different questions for female and male founders. This applies to both male and female investors. We, we tend to ask promoter questions to male founders and preventive questions to female founders. So for instance, we would ask about how are you growing? What's your vision to increasing market share? Where will you be in five years for men? And for women, we tend to ask more questions around how we're going to become profitable. How will you defend yourself from competitors and things like that? So when we found that out, we made sure that we implemented a more neutral investment process here at Maya. And today, this is super important for us. We always ask the exact same questions to every founder, and we usually ask them to fill out a form so we can read the answers without any bias of who is presenting these answers to us. I'm wondering where you two see Maya in five years' time. 
what do you need to happen for you to look back and feel really proud of what you have accomplished over the next five years? So Daniel, I promise that Maya story will go way beyond <laughs> five years. We always say that this is just the beginning. We're just getting started. There's so much opportunity to be tackled still and so much work to be done. But in five years, particularly, well, I imagine we'll have a series of funds under management and an ever stronger portfolio of founders really working towards the transformation of Latin America. And that's what success to me is, is empowering exceptional people to reach their maximum potential, either by capital support, whatever they may need, and then really enabling this change throughout the region. Monica, you want to compliment? Yeah, please. I'd love to see that Maya has really changed Latin America for better, um, that it has inspired the next generation of founders, and that it has also delivered above average return to our LPs. So I think if we do those three things, we'll be on the right path. And I think Lada is totally right. This is just the beginning. So I think you're going to hear much more from us in the next years. We are eager to hear that and keep watching where Maya goes. I want to thank both of you, Lara and Monica, for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. This has been McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening. <laughs>